The Old Testament reading today is from Psalm 139, verses 1 through 14. You have searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you, Lord, know it completely. You hem me in behind and before, and you lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up into the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me, and the light become night around me. Even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day, for darkness is as light to you. For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. This is the word of the Lord. Today's New Testament reading is from Romans chapter 12, verses 1 through 8, which can be found on page 1137 in your Pew Bibles. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. For by the grace given to me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your, if your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning again, Sherman Street. 
I'm always grateful when you answer me. That's nice. Um, I, uh, I've spent a lot of time over the last couple of weeks as we've been in this series thinking about the patterns of this world and what exactly those are. Um, I kept, you know, coming back to the harmful things that we repeat, you know, through different countries, different cultures, different generations, um, like war, you know, and racism and the patriarchy and, you know, powerful empires that rise on violence and then eventually fall. A bunch of different kinds of idolatry that we can all, you know, point out, some more overt than others. Um, and then, of course, there's those more personal patterns, like hoarding wealth and competition and <sighs> exclusion and exploitation. Um, and I think that's all right. I think that's a good way to think about it. Uh, but then last week, I thought that Tony summed it up so well. He said that the patterns of this world are all the ways that we operate as if the love of God didn't exist. Um, you know, that kind of encapsulates all of those things that I mentioned. And that definition comes from, it's actually te- comes from Thomas Merton's definition of the false self, right? He said that your false self is you operating as if the love of God didn't exist. Um, and you are your true self to the degree that you operate as if the love of God does exist for you and for everyone else. Um, and then Tony just kind of drew the connection from our own individual experience to us communally, and us through time. The patterns of this world are all the ways that we habitually operate as if the love of God didn't exist, as individuals or as a community. But here, in this community, we believe that the love of God does exist. And, you know, some days it's harder to believe that than others. And sometimes we need the faith of other people to hold us up for, you know, a day or a month or years at a time even. But as a general rule, we believe that the love of God is real. And we believe that it is extravagant. That it turns a few loaves and a few fishes into enough to feed thousands with leftovers that it makes sure that the party doesn't run out of wine, that it invades this world with the healing of bodies and minds and communities. You know, we believe that we saw the love of God clearly in the person of Jesus, that Jesus would both live and die for us and then with still more to give would live again. And if that wasn't enough, God then gave God's self to dwell in us in the Holy Spirit. We believe that the love of God is relentlessly committed to us and that it will not leave us no matter what. We believe that we are called to give out of the grace that has already been given to us and that whatever we give, we will find return to us, pressed down and shaken together and flowing over. And we believe that God pours out God's gifts on creation all day, every day, and all every night to boot. We believe that the love of God is real. And that it is wider and longer and higher and deeper than we can even imagine 
stretching out in every direction. And that there is nothing in all of creation that can separate us from that love. Nothing. So then what does it look like to be a community that takes its patterns from that love? That the way that we operate together, the way that we live as individuals and as a community, it's all structured by the grace of, God's who, of God whose love doesn't end. It just keeps on giving and then gives again. I think much of the work of discipleship is learning how to believe in the love of God as more than just like a head knowledge, like, you know, I can sign the thing, but having that knowledge descend into our hearts that it might flow out of our words and our actions, that it might even start to inform our reactions closer to us than the patterns of this world. So that instead of the pressure of earning your own way, of proving that you have value to yourself and to others, of showing everyone that you really do deserve a seat at the table, of trying to get your needs met in whatever way you can, of being in competition, in measuring our, instead of measuring ourselves against some ever-changing standard that we can never meet, instead of assuming that there's not enough to go around or just maybe there isn't, instead of shutting down voices that make us uncomfortable and turning away from the pain, instead of all of that and more, we might live as if the love of God is real and poured out for each of us, overflowing in each and every one of us in a 100,000 different ways. I think that it's a very different kind of community that Paul is describing here. Um, just like so many things in scripture, if you've been around the church long enough, it becomes difficult to not let your eyes like glaze over a bit um, at this very familiar of idea, right? We are the body of Christ, and each one of us has a gift to give. Um, but it really is different. It really is a dramatically different way of thinking about people and life and the world. Like a way of life that begins and ends with the love and grace of God and that cannot exist without it. Like look at, let's look at how Paul talks about it. Um, his teaching begins with the grace that's given to him. He says, like by the grace given to me, I say to you. Like he just starts out saying, I've been given a gift and that's the only reason I can give you a gift. Um, and I think by that grace, he means like his particular calling as a preacher and teacher. Um, his calling to lead the church and to welcome the Gentiles into the fold. I think that grace probably also includes for him the dramatic rescue that turned him from Saul, the persecutor of the church, to being Paul, who preaches grace and welcome. But he begins by saying, I can give to you because God has given to me. It all starts with a gift. And then he instructs us to think about ourselves in light of the faith that has been given to each of us, another gift, because God has given us everything that we might know God and God's love, has done everything to make that possible. And then he talks about the community, the body of Christ, and each member belonging to one another. 
you are all gifts to one another. And each one of you brings a gift or two or three along with you. Um, Paul calls these gifts charismata. Um, you know, we get our word charismatic from it. But it comes from uh, the, Greece, the, Greek, <laughs> the Greek word charis, which means grace. Um, so these are grace gifts. Each of you belong to one another, and each of you is given gifts that are actually gifts for everyone because they're given to give away. The grace gifts, um, yeah, well, I should say, the grace gifts that Paul mentions here are really just like a smattering of examples. Um, Sometimes people try to make it, you know, he mentions 18 throughout all of Scripture. Uh, Sometimes people try to make that the definitive list. I think it's much better to think of him going like, and what about this one, and this one, and this one, but not trying to make an exhaustive list. I mean, otherwise, then you would expect his list to all be the same. Instead, they're all different. Um, I think because the gifts are, that you offer to your community are as diverse as you are, right? You're all precious snowflakes. Um, but, like, seriously. <laughs> uh, Your gift to the community is to play your part as uniquely you. Finding yourself even as you find the whole. The whole thing, all of this, is gift upon gift, right? It's grace upon grace, love poured out that we might love one another. It just keeps going. So I wanted to um, imagine some of the patterns that that might create for a minute. Um, And it has, you know, it creates these patterns in every church to a degree, and to a degree it doesn't because we're all still growing. Um, But let's just imagine the ideal for a minute. Um, If we begin with this small but revolutionary truth, everyone has something to offer. Like, what if we just owned that and believed that? Like, of course, that's just an aspect of the love of God. Of course everyone has something to offer. What if we then came into every situation, every church meeting, say, um, assuming that right from the get-go, sorry, assuming that right from the get-go, assuming that you will receive there, that other people have gifts to offer and you will receive them there. That each person at the table, each person at the table is of value and has something to contribute. And that we might miss out on some portion of the grace of God if we overlook anyone. Like, wouldn't we speak and listen differently? And even then, if someone said something like totally inane, our assumption that they have something to offer would keep us engaged with them. Maybe we just don't understand. Maybe there's more to see here. Maybe it would keep us looking for what God was going to give through them. Already, so much of the pattern of the world is upset by this, right? The ways that we rank one another against each other, the ways that some people have power in meetings and others don't. I mean, even like racism, like just write it off. This way challenges so much of the structures that we set up. Here, we're looking for gold instead of the flaws. We are seeking blessing instead of writing people off. We are lifting up rather than tearing down. 
And on, the, and on the flip side of that, like what if everybody walked into those spaces assuming that they had something to offer too? So that they would speak up boldly and confidently, giving what they had whenever they could. Like insecurity, just drowned out by the love of God. And then, even in this space, where everyone knows that they have something unique to give, they are sure of it, no one would still think more highly of themselves than they ought. Because the more deeply you know the love of God for yourself, the more deeply you are convinced of it for everyone else. And so we are not in competition because the love of God lifts us all. There's this uh, interesting note about belonging in this text too. Um, The word behind belong. So when Paul says, so in Christ, we though many form one body and each of us, each member belongs to the others. Um, It's not about possession or some sort of like right to what other people have, like you own them. Um, The Greek actually says, you are members of one another. It's about fitting together, like a body fits together. So it fits with his metaphor. My hand belongs, not because the other parts of my body own it or somehow have a right to what it can give, but because it fits. It's just a member of my body. And no one has to really make sure to like welcome my hand Like, no other part of my body has to make sure it feels okay. We just know. The body includes the members because that's how it is. And the members know that they're included. Like, I'm not trying to say that you shouldn't make each other feel welcome or whatever. You should do that. Uh, But wouldn't it be amazing if we could start with this assumption of belonging on both sides of the equation? Tony and I um, have this difference about us. I generally assume that I have to like earn people's attention and affection, and he assumes that every stranger is a friend he just hasn't met yet. Um, <laughs> I, remember, I remember talking about this difference when we were dating. He was like, everybody wants friends. And I was like, wow, what a nice way to walk through the world. Um, <laughs> it, and it is. Like, it's actually really beautiful. Like, he's way kinder because of it. So much less defensive. He's less competitive and less jealous. Like, most of the time, he knows he belongs. And he assumes that everyone else belongs too, and he treats people like that. Like, it's really quite beautiful to watch. I know you have experienced it. And I think that, (laughs) I was thinking about this, someone is going to be thinking, oh, that's because he's a straight white man. Of course he belongs. Uh, (laughs) There may be some of that, but I actually do think it is formation. Because I think the way that you experience love from him is that. I think this is the work of God in him. I think this is his gifting. Um, And that's what Paul is saying here, right? By virtue of being in Christ, you are part of the body. You are needed. You belong. And what you have is exactly what we need. And there's this satisfaction in knowing that you're needed, that you belong, that you have something to offer, and also this wonderful blessing that the responsibility that is on you for that also stops before becoming too much pressure because you're just as needed as everybody else. You are not responsible for the whole thing. You're only responsible for your part. And plus, what is needed is you, not some super version of you. Uh, Just you. 
which means that the satisfaction of giving what we can give also comes with the gift of being able to stop and rest. Like, when my legs are tired, I sit down. It's just, we take care of the body. We don't think of ourselves more highly than we ought, just high enough to give what we've got. It's not all on you. It won't fall apart if you need a night off or if you need a month off or if your energies have to go somewhere else for a while. Tony and I make a huge effort when someone says no to say like, good job, say no, go do something else. Please say yes when you can say yes again. Um, you know, and this, this, all this stuff that I've been like sort of imagining, this is just a little bit of what the patterns might be, right? Of a community that believes that the love of God exists, that has habits built up by grace. And of course, the church is never this utopic, like it's never this perfect. Uh, it's a lot messier. And I think that's because we don't always believe in the love of God. Um, or we believe it to a degree, or we don't believe that it's quite as generous as it is. We don't believe that it's necessarily poured out for each of us. We're all in process, and that's what discipleship is. We are learning to rest in this love and to let others rest there too. And it's tough because we live with this, like, you know, patterns of the world right in us and also surrounding us. Um, so we struggle to discern what's ours to do and what is not and when we can rest and when we should work. And sometimes we get it wrong and sometimes we think of ourselves way more highly than we ought and sometimes way too lowly. And both of those can be devastating in different areas, right? We compare ourselves to one another and long for different gifts than the ones we've got and sometimes instead of using our gifts to build each other up, we assume that if everybody doesn't have the gift that I have, then they might not be a real Christian. Um, so like the intellectuals write off the prayers and the prayers write off the intellectuals instead of serving one another they end up in competition with one another um, and there's also this like built in tension I think uh, in the gifts like the prophet whose gift it is to tell it like it is um, and to like call people back to righteousness uh, they might find themselves in tension with the encourager who like sees the best in everything and wants to see the best in everything, right? Who wants to keep calling that out? Or maybe the pastor, that's not in this list, but it is in a different list, uh, who's like trying to hold together a whole community and like keep the stragglers from falling away and so wants to move really slowly in any direction. And there might be tension there between the prophet and the pastor or the encourager. And when that, is, when that tension is held in the context of the love of God, it is like beautiful and necessary. Those people need each other. But when we forget, it can get kind of ugly, right? And then, of course, it is incredibly vulnerable to offer what you have. Um, to hold it out in front of a group of people and go like, I think I'm good at this. And, like, you don't know if they're going to agree with you or maybe even if you're right. <laughs> uh, it's, and it's super vulnerable on the other side of that to say, I'm really not good at this other thing. Um, our culture sort of expects this all-around perfection. You've got to have it together in every area. Um, like, everyone should have all the gifts available to anyone. Um, and so it becomes really hard to say, like, I don't have that one and I really need help here. 
And so the community of God becomes a place of tenderness where we have to learn to be gentle with each other. But this is the way of being community, but this way of being community as a body insists that we were never meant to do it all. We just weren't. We each have gifts for each other. The church is messy, but all of those different rubs, all the struggle of it, all the working it out together, you know, that's how we're formed. That's how we learn it. If we are willing to keep returning to the love of God, to keep rehearsing new patterns, to keep learning and saying, like, I don't know, or I can't, or I got it wrong. You know, we can learn together to be a people who live as though the love of God is real and is poured out for each of us and for the world. Grace upon grace upon grace upon grace. And that requires the solitude that Tony was talking about, I think, last week. Um, You and God in prayer, in discerning and learning in that space. I mean, even just learning to exist in the love of God without the pressures of people's expectations and desires for you. It's incredibly transformative to just be in that space. And then whatever rest you find there, you can then bring into your community. It also requires the back and forth of being together, the mutual correction that we have together, that different gifts offer to each other. Or when one person won't engage and another is taking over and we're struggling to learn how to think just highly enough of ourselves, just highly enough of everybody else, like all of that, the work of disagreeing in a way that keeps track of another's humanity, of the image of God in them, of the love of God that surrounds us all. Like it's really, it's difficult work. But I am more and more convinced that everything that God calls us to, even when it is difficult, is gift in the end. Because don't you want to live as a people, like a community, who begin and end with the love of God? Who can have that generosity in our own selves and generosity in our lives together? that we might throw off the fear and shame of the patterns of this world and instead be defined by love and abundance. A community where everyone belongs. Not because they're like cool enough and fun enough and have really great hair, uh, but because the love of God pours out over all of us. Rushing in and through each moment Supporting us, holding us up, giving every good and beautiful gift, and never wavering or ending. You know, sin tries to keep us bound in these sick and sickening structures of death. But God's love just keeps on coming to us, keeps on pouring out for us, keeps on inviting us into something new. Let's learn this love of the God who just keeps on giving. May we be a people who live as though that love is real. Please pray with me.
Holy Spirit, you are in and among us. One more gift that continues to give. And we pray that we would, um, well, that you would draw us to love in every interaction, in every moment, that you would remind us of what is true about you, about us, and about this world. Lord, may we live more and more into your grace and truth. In Jesus' name, amen.